Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is... Well, that didn't work as well as I thought it was going to work. My name is Jeremy, and it's summertime-ish, so I'm going to have myself a nice, refreshing beer as I read our comic book. Oh, boy. You're going to get wasted. Mm Mm-hmm. This uh, issue is titled, Who Will Stop the Juggernaut? Do we? Uh, when's it from? October, November, December of 1976. It's from December of 1976. Good. I'm trying to keep track of these dates. Uh, and the cover of this is it's the Juggernaut, and he is going toe to toe with Colossus. Oh, did we mention this is issue 102? Oh, I don't think we did. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're falling way behind on our diligence here. <laughs> it's because of this whole beer thing. You screwed me up. I'm sorry. Yes, it is X-Men number 102 with the Juggernaut and Colossus fighting on the cover. Storm is laying in the dungeon floor, cowering with fear, and Nightcrawler is swinging from a chandelier. Which is a pretty accurate depiction of what happens in the issue. In fact, we we can probably skip this one. Really, there's, there's some other Professor X stuff we need to discuss, but yeah, the whole issue is summarized by this cover. <laughs> If Colossus should fall, it says, who will who shall stop the juggernaut? Yeah, uh, and Dave Cockrum has kind of returned to his, um, oh, how do I say, just kind of forgettable covers. We had uh, he, he seems to like to do scenes. We had two amazing ones. Uh, I mean, I guess it's hard to say because, right, we have all of the history behind those two iconic covers. Right, I wouldn't say they were amazing so much as iconic. Really? Well, okay, not amazing, but amazing for the time, I think. I think I give it credit for where it stood, you know. Um, they're they're okay. There's yeah. nothing great about them. <laughs> no, they're I awesome. Mean, they're the best things that have ever been produced by the medium of comic books. Well, that's that's a bold claim. <laughs> All right. Well, they're probably some of Dave Cockrum's best cover work. All right. I'm good with that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's let's open this book up here, and uh, Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum are providing the story and the art provided, or with Sam Granger on the inking. John Costanza is lettering. Andy Yonkis is coloring, at least in mine. Bonnie Wilford in mine. Wow. All right, and Archie Goodwin is editing. So we'll probably have some additional coloring snafus this week as well. Right, as we as we have learned, mine is right. <laughs> and mine is wrong. Yours is recolored, so it's it's not it's not wrong. It's just you know colored by someone else. Yeah, mine was colored on a budget or something like that. <laughs> They're like, man, we got to crank out these Marvel masterworks. Anybody know where Andy Yonkis is? <laughs> Andy's coloring with both hands: Fantastic Four in one hand, X Men in the other hand. You missed a couple of shirts. Forget about it. Nobody'll notice. Nobody's gonna buy these. <laughs> All right, well, anyways, uh, we open pretty much right where we left off from last issue in which the Juggernaut is fighting uh, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine. Wolverine somehow has ended up upside down on his head. 
I feel like he has just punched all three of them somehow because Nightcrawler's flying back, Wolverine's flying on his head, and Colossus is also flying backwards. Yeah. Storm, as we left off, is crouching in the corner, uh, screaming and unhappy about her claustrophobia. Yeah. Like, this would literally be the next panel as we left off from the last comic book. Because in the last comic book, it was Storm doubled over going, no! And in this, and uh, uh, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Colossus are kind of just looking on. Now in this one, Juggernaut has basically just punched them all. We left off and they weren't fighting, and now they are fighting. So there must be, there must have been a little bit of stuff that happened in there. Either that or they all just stood there and Juggernaut came over and knocked them down like a bunch of bowling pins. He just sucker punched them. Banshee here is thinking about uh, Black Tom... Uh, and Juggernaut, who is taking out the X-Men as if they were rank amateurs. And maybe we are. So maybe they have been fighting for a little while. Yeah, so we got some fighting off-panel between issues. And so he's kind of recapping, like, oh, we came to my ancestral castle to enjoy a well-earned vacation, but we let our guard down, and now we're paying the price. Because that's how you think when you're in the middle of a fight. (laughs) How did I get here? <laughs> hmm. Let me recollect. <laughs> At least it's not as bad as like those early 70s issues where it's like a whole dreamy flashback into how you ended up to where you are now. At least they're summarizing. Page. Yeah. At least now they're just summarizing it in a couple of thought balloons. Well, uh, Black Tom does some like fist pounding basically, or some chest pounding rather, and says that we're stronger than you. <laughs> and uh, by the way... I'm immune to your power, Banshee. You remember that, right? And he's like, yeah, I do remember that. Which I guess is the first time that we have seen that, oh, what are they, cousins? They're cousins, yeah. So blood relations mutants are immune to each other's powers is the gist of this. Yeah, and I thought we had established that with Havoc and Cyclops earlier. I... I feel like it was never really spelled out, but it's not really spelled out this time either. It's just kind of mentioned, so I don't know, maybe. Well, yeah, he says, I'm immune to Banshee's vaunted sonic scream. What I want to know is how can he be immune to an ear-piercing sonic scream? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, he, he just is. And do you think, like, if Colossus had a brother or a sister, if they would be immune to his power? Uh, well, I mean, if you get punched in the face, well, you get punched in the face. That'd be a great, it'd be a great question. Like, would they feel it was like a normal punch? Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, all right, so how how can you be Im- immune to a sonic scream, which is affecting basically your eardrums? Maybe if Colossus punched his sister, his hand would turn, uh, uh, from steel to to flesh. Oh, kind of like that scene in X three where Beast goes out to touch Leech and his hand turns from beast to human. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I don't think that's how it works, but but maybe. Well, anyways, they they go for uh, they're gonna just fist fight. Right, because Sean realizes he can't do anything to Black Tom, so he's gonna punch him instead. I'm I'm guessing that maybe Black Tom's ears are. Uh, like grow some sort of blockade whenever Banshee screams. So they like get filled up with wax. Oh, it could be. Or maybe they just don't resonate the frequency that Banshee screams at. Right, maybe he doesn't even hear them. Yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of neat. <laughs> Think of all the biology that's involved in that. 
And I mean, like, I can understand brother and sister because you're coming directly from the same bloodline. But when you introduce cousins, I mean, your bloodline is getting pretty, you're getting thinner at that point. We're all related. Well, right. At the end of the day, every one of us on this planet has some sort of relation. Maybe that's why, maybe we're all mutants and we all have special powers, but we don't realize it because everybody else is immune to it. Uh And the mass immunity causes us not to have powers. I need to isolate myself. (laughs) And and test out that theory. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, as we move on, uh, Juggernaut is uh, just punching at the air, it looks like, or perhaps he's punching at Nightcrawler, who's able to dodge his punches. Right. Nightcrawler presumably is doing some some bamfs. Colossus goes over to Comfort Storm and uh, try to try to help her out, but Wolverine starts yelling at him, What do you think you're doing, bub? Forget Storm, you tin dummy. You're the, we're the one who's getting stomped, and Colossus gets mad at him. At which point, Wolverine grabs him by the wrist, does a a carousel turn, and throws him at Juggernaut. And it looks like like at the last second, Colossus manages to actually punch Juggernaut as well. Look at the fourth panel on this page. Right as Wolverine grabs Colossus's arm to get ready to do that fling, what's happening to Nightcrawler in the background? I think he's getting slammed into a wall. The sound effect is bathat. Bathat. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, the background is all green, so it's hard to tell what he's getting. <laughs> I, I find that funny. Uh, yeah, but I mean, so I guess we haven't established how much Colossus weighs, but I mean, it has to be quite a bit. He's a man made out of complete steel, and Wolverine is able to throw him at the Juggernaut. Hmm, and in that one issue, the professor was able to deck Wolverine, so therefore the the professor could throw Colossus. Aha. Uh-huh. If Colossus can take out Wolverine, who can throw Colossus? Is the professor stronger than Colossus? I think so. Way to go, Rusky, shouts Wolverine with a mighty thabam as Colossus hits Juggernaut, at which point they cut immediately to, instead of cutting to a panel where like Juggernaut and Colossus are lying on the floor in a in a, in a, in a puddle together, mm-hmm. we immediately cut to a panel of Colossus yelling at Wolverine, do not call me that, and do not come between me and my friends again, Wolverine, or all I, by all I hold near, I'll, well, I'll be. Peter Pierhart finally gets a mad on. And then they they look like they're about to fight. Well, Wolverine pops his claws, and from the background, I think it's Juggernaut who's like, uh, hey, hello, we're fighting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the bad guy. I'm the villain. That's what I said last, last issue. And he decks Colossus. Yes. Just across the face, Colossus goes parallel and into a wall. Kthow! Wolverine uses his mighty adamantium claws to see if he can break through Juggernaut's armor. Is the part in the middle of the Juggernaut armor? It looks like cloth. It does look like cloth, but I think in addition to the suit, I think Juggernaut by himself is just plain invulnerable. Well, because of the mystic powers, right? Right. So even if he wasn't wearing the suit, I don't think Wolverine would really be able to hurt or cut him with his claws. Well, that makes sense, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so he does attempt to cut him with his claws. We get a squeak, and uh, it, it doesn't happen. And Nightcrawler's all like, 
Nice try, Wolverine, but you didn't even slow him down, he thinks to himself. There's only five of us here, and, and only Storm could have a chance, but what is she doing? She's just crying. Storm! Snap out of it, woman! And and Storm's just, oh, please, please. And uh, <laughs> Nightcrawler, not to be, you know, uh, exaggeratory or anything, is like, we're being murdered, Storm! Literally murdered! <laughs> Nobody's dead, but but we're being murdered. Why won't you help? Why does Nightcrawler think that Storm is the only one who could really help in this situation? Uh, he he knows that she's got a, you know she controls weather and she can control weather inside of a a castle inside of enclosed walls. So he she could summon but up what, a hurricane. What, what does that do against a juggernaut? It knocks him over. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but that's that's the whole plot of the story is that the only one that could defeat the Juggernaut is Storm, and Storm is wetting herself in the corner. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about the woman goblin if I were you, says Juggernaut, at which he uh, Nightcrawler dodges out of the way, and then he says, and the name's Nightcrawler, Verstin. 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 Which means no, like K-N-O-W, understand. Exactly. It translates to understand. Yeah. So like, and the name's Nightcrawler, understand? Verstein. Yeah. Um, he also says prior to that, he says gods. But that's more of a storm dialogue, isn't it? Mm, I, I could see either of them saying it. I think like Nightcrawler, I don't know how well we've established it yet, but I think he's like... He's a Christian boy or a Catholic boy or whatever the hell. But, but I mean, he believes in a god, not gods. Well, when you have a giant fist the size of your head coming straight at you, you, you kind of don't really think about what you're saying. <laughs> He's hedging his bets. He's like, gods, anybody, <laughs> help me. Um, instinct. He's running on instinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and uh, he runs away. He does, and uh, Juggernaut is not impressed with the German that Nightcrawler lays out on him, and he says that uh, he that Nightcrawler is going to be dead when Juggernaut finishes with him. Right, his name's going to be dead. That's yep. that's really clever, Juggernaut. You <laughs> talk, mine hair, but you have to catch me first. And then he, and that's when he runs away and climbs up the wall. Juggernaut decides he can't really go after Nightcrawler because he's up the wall, and he's like, "Well, fine, I'm going to take on." Storm, who is still incapacitated, he grabs her by the hair. This looks so painful. And he picks her up by her hair. Oh. He he's, he doesn't care. He's woman or not, like she's a she's against she's my foe, so let her go, you butcher. Lest you discover how much of a demon nightcaller truly is. I don't know what accent that is. <laughs> and that's when and that's when we get our first uh Star Trek reference. My pleasure, Spock ears, says Nightcrawler, or uh, Juggernaut. I don't know that this is going to be the first of many, but it is the first Star Trek reference, yes. It might not even be the first. There <laughs> might have been some other ones that we missed. Yeah, I don't know. But hey, Star Trek's out in theaters. Sure. To, to, place, a little, uh, to place a little time reference. Star Trek Into Darkness, the worst title ever. <laughs> that's the one that's out in theaters in 1976? No, that's one on now oh, okay. as we're recording this. Oh, I see what you're saying. Gotcha. I don't know what's out in 1976. Not Star Wars. I don't think. I think uh, the motion picture was out in 1979. So, 
Anyhow, uh, the storm uh, is swearing up like a, like a sailor here. Damn you, Aurora! These are your friends being killed! Now, she's exaggerating. Your friends who cry out to you for aid! Nobody has, except for Colossus, maybe. And what is your reply? I'm sorry. Well, Nightcrawler did. So sorry. Help them. God, forgive me. I can't. And then we get a little storm flashback. She flashes back to Harlem in 1951 and her parents. She, she's, she's an infant, so I don't know how she's having this flashback. Yeah, I, I'm sure somebody will feel fit to rewrite that, maybe. We don't know, but it does. Kind of, it's just kind of like um, memories are being unlocked in alien time, a uh, different place. And, and um, what they don't do these days so much is they actually place it in a time and a place. So it's New York, Harlem, 1951, which is important for this whole backstory because it places it firmly in the middle of a conflict. Um, that that makes Storm roughly 25 years old. Yeah, in, in, in this issue, correct? I suppose, I suppose she could be a little earlier. It's hard to tell how old she is in this. Yeah. Or she could be a little older. It's hard to tell how old she is in, this, uh, in, this, in these next few panels. It says she's six months old. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to jump over a little bit, but we find out that her mother's name is Ndare. Her father's name is David. Ndare is a princess, and David, I think, is a, he's a journalist who was able to, who met this woman, and they fell in love, and he dragged her back to Harlem, and then they had a baby named Aurora. But now they're finally going to move to Suez. They're going to move to Suez. Cairo. Ndare is a princess from Kenya, so ultimately they'll end up there. But in the meantime, they go to Cairo, and it, it turns out that we get a little history lesson about uh, the Suez War, the nationalization that was happening of the canal, and the British and French um, conflicts with the Israelis, and like war breaks out. And which is kind of a neat idea, right? I mean, Chris Claremont like did some research or was at least reading newspapers at the time, but knows mm -hmm. something about this conflict and was like, this is the perfect time frame to put Storm. This is a great way to feed her claustrophobia. Basically, David and Indair are at their, their residence and uh, this war is breaking out around them. And David's like, we got to get out of here. Um, head to the American embassy. They'll take care of you. Uh, go now, run. But, but unfortunately, a plane, uh, I guess, it gets caught in a flak burst as it's swung it into its strafing run. The pilot uh, ejects, and the plane goes down straight into the house that uh, David and Indair are, uh, and Aurora are, are, are standing in at the time. And I thought it would be pretty fascinating if it was like if it was like a major character who was flying that plane. It would be like like Wolverines flying the plane or something. <laughs> Captain America. No, Captain America would be been on ice. Look, there's still time. I mean, they could literally be like, "Yeah, I was flying around in Suez. My airplane crashed in this village. I never knew what happened." It's Nick Fury. <laughs> it could be. But anyways, yeah, the plane crashes. Uh, pretty much crashes right into. Um, their residence right and uh david shouts and there aurora get down i'll keep you safe and then the caption says liar <laughs> as the plane crashes into the 
into the house. Which I have a problem with. I mean, first of all, the narration shouldn't re- respond to the, the captions that are happening there. But David didn't lie. He's not a liar. He just was unable to, you know, keep his, you know, he was unable to keep them safe. I'm sure he tried. This just makes me wonder, like, Chris Claremont is writing this and he's like, I'm going to write some dialogue here that won't necessarily be true. And then he's like, liar! <laughs> Like he he wrote both lines of dialogue, so yeah. I don't know. I, I find the whole thing kind of curious. It is curious. And then uh, I haven't looked, but I think the first and second panel here are the same from X Men ninety seven. Oh, really? Ninety six. Mm. Similar in X Men ninety six when they're fighting the uh, those demon things. Remember, she got the whole claustrophobia thing. There were two right. panels we saw, and the first one was very similar to this one where she's underneath a bunch of wood, and there's the um, arm with bracelets. And then I think the third panel, was she screaming out mother or was she just screaming? I don't remember. No, I'm looking at 96 now, and they are nothing alike. Oh, they're not? The first panel is uh, her holding her mother's hand in Cairo. Okay. And the second panel, it's kind of similar to the first panel here. Okay, the first panel is the one that drew my attention because there's there should be an arm and the bracelets. Yeah, the arm and the bracelets are there. Aurora's in a slightly different position, but okay. you know you get the same the gist. Okay, so we take off from right there. She, uh, Aurora wakes up, calls to her mother, then realizes her mother is dead and screams out. Mother, do you think they'll drop? <laughs> Never mind. Hey, that works on so many levels. <laughs> well, Storm, uh, not to give up on herself, she becomes a, a thief in Cairo. Right. She she wanders the streets for a while until she is found by Ahmed El Gabar's urchins. Yeah. And he teaches her to be. The finest beggar slash sneak thief. What's a sneak thief in all of Cairo? I don't know what a sneak thief is. <laughs> but then in your 12th year, something, some inner need began pulling you south away from Egypt and the Sahara. You walked for a year, 2,000 miles from Cairo to the Serengeti Plain. And though you'd never seen the veldt before, you knew you had come home. She walked a year? Hey, man. <laughs> what is she, Forrest Gump? <laughs> Maybe she was reading about, like, Australian aboriginals and their walkabout, and she's like, that sounds uh, strangely like something I want to do. Well, I hope they also taught her to kill animals and make her own food. I'm sure. Well, she's so attractive and unique looking that people were probably just giving her food along the way. <laughs> hoping for a shot that's not much of a walk (laughs) she stops to eat all the time i'm just imagining her just walking like the whole time i don't know and then uh, the next scene we cut basically to the same scene as the professor rolling up to her little um uh her goddess hill or whatever we found her on in giant-sized x-men number one again how did he get up there she's having these flashbacks and it ends with the professor and the professor, an ocean away, picks up on this. What? I thought I heard someone call my name, but so faint, far away. It's Storm! 
Yes, he is shocked. The psychics, the telepathics, the uh, rapport I share with my students. I can feel her pain and fear. Dominating her every thought is the face of Cade Marco. I don't know. and I wouldn't say that's dominating her every thought. I would think like the claustrophobia would be kind of primary. Or this flashback of her recalling why she's claustrophobic in the first part or in the first yeah, place. Exactly. I, yeah, exactly. The professor's exaggerating a little yeah. bit. I think that's dominating his thoughts. <laughs> it could be. He's just randomly bringing up villains. The mimic! That's what's <laughs> dominating her thoughts. He looks like some sort of anime guy here. Oh! Yeah, he does, totally. Um, so I guess just to go back on the flashback of Storm, I mean, it, it, it's pretty good, right? I mean, a pretty good telling other than like the unexplained walk that she took. Do you see any real reason why that should be expanded or I mean do you, do you think it feel do you, do you feel like it stands on its own? Um well I I I think it yeah it, it's it's a good story but I can totally see why you would want to expand it. Mm. There's there's like a whole like uh un, uncovered characterization there. Oh okay. We can we can learn more about, you know, her adventures and how she becomes Storm. Sure, sure. Sure. You know, little details. Or they could just leave it. Uh, well, what you they know. could do is they could rewrite some of the story in X-Men The Hidden Years and make her meet uh, uh, Beast and Angel. That'd be a good idea. Oh, that'd be... That's the worst idea <laughs> ever. <laughs> well, anyways, the professor, after realizing that the face of Kane Marco is on the every thought of Storm, rolls into the hospital room which Cyclops, uh, or Scott, and uh, Jean are laying in, or resting in. Which is, this is a weird scene, because first the professor runs in, Scott, it's imperative I speak with you, out in the corridor. And then Scott says, huh? Certainly, professor, I'll be right with you. At which point Gene's like, but in the meantime, in what meantime? <laughs> he wants to talk to Scott now, and and whatever. It, while Scott is walking from her bedside to the door, this would be a perfect opportunity to introduce you to my new roommate. <laughs> Charles, meet Misty Mc, or Misty Knight. No, I totally agree with you. Like this dialogue feels way out of place. But in the meantime, what do you mean in the meantime? Uh, my pleasure, Professor says Scott. If you please, every second is vital. Well, I'll be. I'm sorry for that, Misty. I've never seen the professor this brusque and rude before, except for every other day. <laughs> you know, like, this is not out of character, and she should know that, oh, I know that look and that, that uh, uh, sound. Something is wrong with the X-Men, or some villain has escaped. Also, I'm psychic. <laughs> I could just read his mind. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Misty Knight says that she's, oh, it's okay. I'm worried about uh, something's been eating you up ever since your space flight. What is it, Gene? I'd like to help. I know. So tell me, Misty Knight, how do you feel if you died and then brought yourself back to life? Yeah. And her eyes go blank. And her head starts steaming. Crackling with electricity. So based on that line of dialogue, do we think Misty Knight knows the exact details of what happened? No. I, this is like a reveal. I think that Jean Grey is telling her this for the first time. Okay. It might be the first time she's telling anybody. Okay. So Misty Knight, as far as we can tell, does not know that these people are the X-Men. 
Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's a different question altogether. It, it is, but I mean, the only reason the professor would pull Cyclops aside would be to maintain their secret. Otherwise, he'd just be like, "Hey, Kane Marco is back," and he could have just said that, and Cyclops or Scott would have been like, "Oh, okay, I'm going to go now," <laughs> or whatever, you know. But anyways, that's not what happens here. So I got, I guess, I guess I got confused by uh, that, and then of course Jean's confusing dialogue about bringing herself back to life. Well, this is very interesting dialogue, knowing with what what we all know about what eventually becomes the the Phoenix story, which I'm not going to go into detail. But of course, it's just interesting that the dialogue is. What if you like this is Jean Grey? thinking to herself, what if you feel, uh, how would you feel if you died and then brought yourself back to life? So it's almost like that's what she thinks. She, she doesn't know yet or something. Right. Or maybe Chris Claremont doesn't know yet. I'm sure nobody know. knows, <laughs> but for story uh, t telling, I mean, it would make sense that Jean probably has uh, a memory of her dying, right? I mean, just being exposed to all that radiation blanking out, and then maybe the next thing she remembers is bursting through the water at uh, uh, that Jamaica Bay place. It's interesting. Yeah. Just an interesting choice of words. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, outside of the hotel room, I'm sorry, outside of the hospital room, uh, uh, the professor fills in Scott about what's going on uh, at the castle, Castle Cassidy. And, the, and uh, Cyclops is like, no, I'm not going to go. Uh, my place is here at the hospital. The new X-Men can handle it. I'm going to stay with Jean. And then we get an, another anime panel of the professor. Your what? <laughs> yes. The needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many? How dare you? No, wait, he doesn't say that. But he, he well, essentially he says he that. essentially does. <laughs> well, that's just another Spock reference I was trying to make. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it worked. <clears throat> but Cyclops says, uh, I am because that woman is the most important thing in my life. Besides, there's nothing I can do to help the X-Men. No way I can get to them in time to make difference. Which is true. That is all true. And you yourself have said that sooner or later the new team is going to have to learn to fight on its own. Callous as it is, it sounds like that time is now. Okay, at this point, the professor gets ready to backhand Scott. <laughs> How dare you, you ungrateful, unspeakable cur! I took you in, gave you, gave, I, Scott! He just loses, he's going crazy, he doesn't even know what to say, he's so livid. He totally, he, he raises his hand like he's about to backhand Scott, and Scott's like, what the? Oh my god. <laughs> this I've never seen, Scott says to himself. <laughs> Uh, but then it's actually not Scott that's causing him to get all confused. It's actually what the professor is seeing in the mirror. Yes, they they have uh, they've they've shown this mirror in every panel up to this point, mm -hmm. and now they show that inside the mirror is that bug uh, face creature that he's been seeing for the past couple of issues. And now it is very clearly a face inside mm -hmm. the, the bug glass. There's eyes, nose, and a mouth. So, I mean, every time they've drawn this uh, in the previous issues, the face has gotten clearer and clearer and clearer. The face in the mirror. Oh, my God, Scott. It's the face in my dream. You're dreaming about me, Professor, <laughs> says Scott, looking at himself in the mirror. Creepy. <laughs> I'm still not going to uh, Castle Cassidy. 
Well, speaking of which, it's actually Cassidy Keep, and things are going from bad to worse as the uh, juggernaut continues to punch everything in sight. With a mighty shock, interesting that um, Nightcrawler jumps onto the wall and his his hands and feet make three separate sound effects. Thip, thip, and thot. <laughs> yep. Uh, looks like Banshee's getting in a good punch, knocks out Black Tom. I wonder if that'll stay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, Nightcrawler is just doing a lot of uh, acrobatics, just, I guess, to try to stay uh, away from the Juggernaut. Uh, but meanwhile, as he's doing all this, he's thinking about what's going on with Storm. And he does actually eventually call it traumatic claustrophobia. Hmm. Um, so he's onto it. So Wolverine, we we skip to a scene of Wolverine who is talking mid sentence. I ain't gonna quit till I'm dead. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Uh, and then Nightcrawler, oh no, Wolverine, no. And that's when uh, Wolverine gets backhanded. Lots of backhanding in this issue. And he's out for the count. Wolverine is out for the count. He's knocked out. And so Nightcrawler swings into action. He grabs a candle from the chandelier, hangs by his tail, and throws that, I don't know, hot wax, fire, or coal, or something, straight into the Juggernaut's face. And this actually has quite an effect on the Juggernaut. Totally. Curse you, Goblin, you've hurt me. He starts screaming in agony, holding his face. And uh, suddenly Black Tom is on top of Banshee. So, curse you, Goblin, you've hurt me. And Black Tom responds by saying, that he has, and it'll be Black Tom's pleasure. Oh, to see Nightcrawler pay for it a thousandfold. So now finally Black Tom raises his uh, cane and shoots Nightcrawler in the back. So right. we're still not quite sure what Black Tom's mutant powers are, but we know he has a cane that shoots stuff. Right? Is that right? Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Nightcrawler is down for the count. And uh, in the next panel, I, is it? I, I'm not sure if it's the same in yours, but he, you can only see his legs and his arm, and the rest of him is invisible. Yeah. Yep. That is, that is how mine is as well, which is Im- <laughs> important maybe mm. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know and then uh we cut to another shot of uh you we can't you can only you can see his head now but you can't see his body and some very small imp creatures uh that we saw the last issue as they were watching storm take a shower yes uh show up and sneak uh nightcrawler out and they say well you yeah, look at that part of the lad's invisible let's get him out of here they drag him away. And they do. Into like a secret compartment in the wall that just opened up, allowing them to entrance into the room. We'll, we'll hold that thought. Uh, Indeed. We'll hold that thought. And so anyways, uh, Black Tom and Sean continue fighting, punching one another, if you will, kicking one another, if you will. Some more weird dialogue as Black Tom says, Sean, I'm ashamed of you. Where's the Banshee of old, the Interpol agent who sent me to prison for life? And Banshee responds, what are you talking about, man? Yes, Black Tom is wondering why Sean has asked none of the obvious questions, such as who freed himself and the Juggernaut from prison. So I guess after the X-Men's last bottle, the Juggernaut was sent to prison, which I ask, what prison could have held the Juggernaut? 
Maybe they got that Hulk cage again. Oh, it could be. Maybe Professor X and Reed Richards designed a special cage. Could be. Off off panel, off page. And who gave us the money and the knowledge to take this castle and then turn it into a death trap? In short, who paid us to kill the X-Men? Such a pity you'll die without ever knowing. First of all, none of these are the obvious questions. Yeah. No, no. Uh, it's like Black Tom really, really, really wants to tell Sean, but he's like... I can't. <laughs> I was told not to. Second of all, Sean's responses are just, what are you talking about, man? It's like, it, it, that makes me think that he wasn't an Interpol agent who sent Black Tom to prison for life. And yeah. that they, Black Tom's got the story wrong. Yeah, what are you talking um, about, man? I was never in Interpol. Right. And then when he when Black Tom says the money... Who gave us the money and, to, and knowledge to take this castle and turn it into a death trap? Sean says, why ye dirty? Yeah. Which, again, doesn't make sense. None of that makes me. a schedule. Black Tom admits that the um, arrival of the X-Men was unexpected and ahead of schedule, but the results are the same. Uh, basically, the fight has been made shorter, and they're going to still get a big profit. And he knocks Banshee out with his stick. So Black Tom is in it for the money. Juggernaut says in the next page, true enough, but my vengeance, true enough, but my vengeance won't be complete until my hated stepbrother Charles Xavier lies dead at my feet. Poor Juggernaut. He wakes up, finds out that his the, the brother that he wants revenge on is dead. And then next time he wakes up, he's alive again. <laughs> Why? He's so confused. Yeah. He's like, Black Tom, do you know how much time I spent in the... The clouds of Sidorak. <laughs> First I'd be beamed down. Then I was sucked back up. Then I was an old man and I lost all my teeth. Um, Yeah, none of that's explained, but whatever. That will never be, monster, says someone off panel. What, says Juggernaut? And then Colossus says, because to get to Goobity-Gock Xavier, you must first defeat Colossus and I will not be beaten. And Googly-Gop sounds like... Professor. I, I don't even know how to say that. Professor. 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 Basically means professor. Not sure why Colossus needs to say that in Russian, but whatever. No, no. Uh, yeah, but he won't be beaten, he says. Um, get up, juggernaut, and I will, I, and I will knock you down again. Which is cool dialogue, but uh, Juggernaut's like, whatever, and he hits the floor, which springs uh, Colossus up into the air. You still haven't gotten the message, have you, Colossus? I am a Juggernaut. <laughs> Somebody should make that into a song. <laughs> Flatten me a hundred times, and I'll face you the hundred and first as strong and fresh as ever. He's fresh, fresh, <laughs> he's Juggernaut. Yes, uh, words will not defeat me. Uh, he says, while my acrobatic skill is not of Olympic caliber, it is more than sufficient to hurl you back into the wall. Look at how nimble this big Iron Man is. Oh, this is amazing. He jumps straight up into the air, does like a forward flip, uh, crouches his legs into his chest, and then kicks all in one swift movement. This is this is impressive. That's definitely Olympic caliber. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> That's better than Olympic caliber. Exactly. And he's pummeling Colossus, or I mean, he's pummeling the Juggernaut. Uh, but 
uh, Storm kind of comes out of her um, her uh, uh, trauma, and she says, Colossus, the wall, it's collapsing. Peter! As the wall and the ceiling falls on top of them. Falls on everybody. And when the when the debris clears, Juggernaut is holding an unconscious Colossus. You got guts, kid, I'll give you that. But only one thing matters when you're fighting the Juggernaut, and that's power. Oh, Peter, I failed you. I failed all of the X-Men. Yeah, she wants to make the supreme effort, and so she raises her hands and fires a lightning bolt at the Juggernaut, who says, is that it? And redirects it right back to her. You speak of power, Juggernaut. Behold, as Storm teaches you the meaning of the word. I'm waiting, lady. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. Oh, is that all you got? Here, have it right back. And she gets it back, and she is knocked out. I'm too weak to resist. Juggernaut says, they're beaten, Black Tom. There's only one thing left that matters, and that's Xavier. And I know how to get him here, because I know that he's got constant telepathic rapport with all of his students. How does he know that? I don't know. Uh, Hurt him bad enough, and Charles Xavier will walk into our death trap, as meek and defenseless as lambs to the slaughter. And I imagine that in this panel, Black Tom is secretly fist-pumping underneath the panel. Oh, yeah. Because that's what he looks like he's doing. His head is cocked back with a big, wide-open, toothy grin, and... He's like, yeah! Yeah, you, 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 you use those words, juggernaut. You use them good. Uh, and that's the end of the issue. Next issue, The Fall of the Tower. Interesting note in the letters page. Yes. Howard the Duck is apparently running for president. Oh, yes. And apparently doing quite well in the polls. Yeah. Uh, not too much interesting uh, else interesting in the letters page other than everybody loves the X-Men. All right. Well, um, do what do we have for letters? Do we have any? Oh yeah, we got a letter from uh, from John Harris, who has written us before. Oh yes, he says, Adam and Jeremy, you continue to be wonderfully entertaining. Great to hear about the Christmas present. In regards to the T eight hundred, maybe something can be set up on Kickstarter. <laughs> By the way, I got the price wrong. I said it was fifteen hundred dollars. It's actually six thousand dollars. <laughs> so, you guys are going to have to work a little harder to get this. Yeah, my place. <laughs> But I'm I'm expecting it soon. Sometime this year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that we would save, and I think I responded to somebody on this, that we would save the Kickstarter campaign for our uh, World Comic Con tour whenever we decide to do that. Right. Unless you really want the Kickstarter funds to be used for that T-800, which I can totally understand and get behind. Hey, if 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 somebody wants to pull it off, I'm all behind it. You can if anybody wants to take the the steering wheel on this, do it. <laughs> on, on either of those things, bring us to the con. There, there you go. Um, he also says that he loves the Gene Gray voice, and um, we cause him to do a spit take many times. He's sad that we lost the. 19-year-old Wolverine voice. Yeah. He knew it was coming, though, and and he was... He, he, he couldn't stop it. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, he 
he gave us a little bit of information here about where Lois and Clark Kent uh, are found in the issue 98 Christmas crowd. If you get your uh, books out, they're on page two, panel three. And he in did the it lower left hand corner. And he did attach a picture so that we can see, but you know, you're you're on your own. But that's where it is. Uh, and then as for the when did Stanley presents begin, he went back and checked. Uh, apparently in issue 60 to 66, it wasn't there, so he's not quite sure where it started. But he comes to the conclusion that giant size number one kicked it off for the X-Men. Makes sense. Sure, and I'm I'm with that. It's not even in the Beast issues, apparently. So, so to his knowledge, it began appearing regularly atop the first page with Stanley in that cursive font in January of 1973. That sounds good to me. Let's go. Anybody with it. knows better? Let us know. You keep casting. I'll keep listening. Natch. Natch. He says, bringing back Natch. So, uh, did we get to the thirty-fifth iTunes review? There is no thirty-fifth iTunes review yet, and um, I don't know, man. This could be the last episode. That's it, folks. We're. Well, no, that's not it. I'm not going to throw down an ultimatum. But we would really, really, really like it if somebody would just take the time and, and go out to iTunes and find us there. You can do it by typing in X-Men or Podcast or, or X-Men Podcast even better or just Danger Room. And we'll come Don't right type in Podcast. That, that won't work. Yeah, that's a terrible search term. <laughs> uh, and then just be the 35th person to give us that five-star thing or say... This podcast is awesome. You could be that 35th person. Speaking of ways mm-hmm. to get a hold of us, you can go to www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, or you can go out to www.xmenpodcast.com, which is where all of the podcasts are hosted, as well as the panels that we talk about from time to time. You can follow us on our Twitter feed, which is at, go, or, mm, at Danger Room Go, and you could email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. Did I miss anything? Uh, phone number? Oh, it's 501-GET-X-MEN. And, and one of these days I'm going to actually write down what the numbers are that are associated with GET-X-MEN. But we're still, we still got the call out there. If you want to introduce the podcast or read a line of dialogue from an upcoming issue, give that number a call. It's free on your cell phone. We won't answer it because it literally just goes to Google, and then we just get the voice message, and then I pull it down on the computer and I put it on the podcast. So there's no worry about like that awkward, like, hello? Uh, uh, is Jeremy there? Is Adam there? Like, that won't happen, I promise. No, this is Adam. What do you want? <laughs> that would be kind of funny, though. Like, if I gave out your personal, or I redirected it to your personal cell phone and people are just <laughs> randomly calling you. Who is this? I wanted to leave you a message. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Not again. Uh, all right. Well, so as promised, or as we always do here this is the uh and since we don't have a name i'm, I'm going to stick with the craptacular spoilers section no one has voted so i mean if you nominated a name you really need to like vote for it because <laughs> you could win just by that I, I, i'm i'm good with craptacular spoilers <laughs> Okay, craptacular spoilers. <laughs> and since we're in that section, Adam, I want to ask you, uh, does Nightcrawler's invisibility powers um, return in later X-Men stories? Because I don't think it does. Well, uh, 
Let's talk about that when we get to that page in Classic X-Men, actually. All right. I just wanted to pontificate about it. I mean, I know that, like, he blends into the darkness because of, like, his shading and stuff, and that makes sense, but I don't know. This invisibility thing kind of bugs me, but maybe there's a retcon that explains it all. Maybe there's one in this very issue. All right. To talk more about that, we will be turning our attention to Classic X-Men number 10 from June 1987. Whoa. John Romita Sr. is adding our um, additions, which is too bad because uh, it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So let's turn to page number seven, I think. Wait, we have to discuss the Art Adams cover that we always discuss. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm really just jumping ahead of myself. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. It's a a good... uh... It's a good, solid cover. Yeah. I like Wolverine in the bottom counter with the bloody nose. Yeah, it's, so it's Juggernaut who's kind of hovering above a crying storm. Nightcrawler's knocked out, and as you mentioned, uh, Wolverine is bleeding, and Colossus is laying on top of uh, of Wolverine. So basically, I mean, what we're seeing here is Colossus, or I mean, Juggernaut has taken out everybody. Right. And apparently there's no love for Black Tom Cassidy or Sean Cassidy. No. No. I think Art Adams hates those uh those Scottish guys. Probably. <laughs> and in the inside front cover we get a nice uh storm just sitting on the shore of a in her her tattered uh dress uniform that she was wearing in the issue. Yeah. She apparently has a camping bag out and a large stick. Yep, there's a butterfly floating around. She's by the the pond, uh, by a pond, by a pond, by a pond. She's by a pond. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what page was it? Page number seven is where we first get our first John Romita Senior. And so, what has happened here is, and this is what I pointed out earlier in the issue, is that so the first chunk of this uh, page is the same. The the second two-thirds of this page is the new artwork, which is basically a redrawing of what happened in the original issue with all new dialogue, basically taking it out of 1951. Um, they still go somewhere. Uh, I think they're going to Cairo, maybe. I don't know if it really says. Yeah, they're, 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 they go to Egypt, basically. And what they say is that uh, it's an unhappy corner of the world and has always been a white-hot cauldron where all too often age-old hatreds and national rivalries explode into war. So the same thing happens. An airplane crashes into their residence, but they basically took it out of that 1951 conflict, which I thought was really cool. Hmm. I didn't even notice this. You didn't? <laughs> so No. Clearly... I, I saw it and I, I looked at it and I was like, is this different? And then I just was like, I don't think so. And then I went by. Yeah, not only is this different, like the, there's the different shots of the airplane. The airplane crashes at a different angle. Uh, the whole thing with Storm um, realizing that her mother is dead, that's all redrawn. Inst- oh, you're right. In- wow. Instead of showing her uh, what I think would have been her right arm with the bracelets, they show a lacerated left arm with no bracelets. You're right. Jeez, I, I, I totally skipped over this. I know. So remember like a few issues I was blown away? Like this is, I think, like, like – because you, you look at it at first glance and if you're just kind of 
thumbing over it, you wouldn't realize it. But as soon as you start reading it, you're like, this is completely different. Well, you know what happened is there were a few hours before I read this issue in the the, the previous issue. So that's why I wasn't – normally I read them back-to-back. Back, so. uh-huh. Well, I read these back-to-back. Back and So anyways, I'm just disappointed that they took it out of time. Like I understand that it's 1987 now and they're like, geez, if we say that this was in 1951, that, that's going to make Storm like, well, 30 – well, it only makes her like 36 or something, right? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I see why they did it, but I didn't. I didn't like it either. But yeah, anyhow. So that's the first re re redo, and then uh, then we go right back to her uh, becoming a thief, and then uh, the the next page after the big the thief splash page is on page ten, where um, Storm has is heading out to um, Kenya. And we get a little bit of nudity, and she learns that she can fly and control the weather. And this actually makes sense um, because we don't in the in the previous flashback they don't mention. And then she learns she gets she has powers, and this is kind of the page. I mean, it didn't need to be a page; it could have just been a panel. But right, right. So in the original it, issue, it cuts basically from she took a year long walk, and then the professor showed up. Is is basically how it flows. This whole page adds like the, you know, the she discovers her powers. She lives in a treehouse. The local elders are like, hey, you can help us uh, grow food. So why don't you help us? And she's like, yeah, why not? That would be a good thing to do. So she does. Right. So this isn't necessary, but it's not bad. It, it is that's, not bad. That's, that's my thought. I, I agree with that. The next retcon happens on page 13, which is right after the professor has freaked out on Cyclops and he sees the uh, bug person in the mirror. And we get more exposure into what happened. Well, actually, sort of. this is this is this is unnecessary, I, but yeah, I don't really like this one. He is now suddenly in space. He went from being in the mirror to being in space staring at this bug creature who reaches out to him and they almost touch. And that's when he snaps out of it. And the professor and Scott's like, Oh, professor Xavier, what happened, sir? What? And that's when Moira McTaggart shows up and is out of the way, boy. Uh, Ms. McTaggart, he had some sort of seizure like nothing I've ever seen before. I have. That's why he summoned me. I don't care what the professor told us. You're no housekeeper. I don't know why he jumps to that conclusion. <laughs> the other thing that I don't like is at some point between 1976 and 1987, they changed the spelling of Moira McTaggart's name. Up until now, well, I don't know now. I don't know when they changed it, but it was it's T-A-G-G-E-R-T, but here it's T-A-G-G-A-R-T. Oh. And so somewhere along the line they changed it, which means our tags are going to be all messed up. <laughs> This looks like a more correct spelling, but but yeah, I guess if it started with an ERT, we got to leave it, right? It's the same thing with Stephen Lang in the comic. Like nowadays, it's PH Stephen, oh. but in the in the comics that we just read, it's V. So yeah. I don't know. That's stupid. Why why can't they just leave it the way it is? Why change it? I thought that was the editor's job, is to keep consistency on that sort of stuff. That's bizarre. Yeah. Well, anyways. Um, 
So Scott's like, what happened? Why did he pass out? Moira was like, I don't know. I've never seen anything like this, but he's either going crazy out of his mind or he's interfacing with another consciousness because that's the only other explanation. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To be honest, Scott, I truly cannot say which is worse. He's got that interfacing with another consciousness look on his face. (laughs) It might be that. Well, we used to love each other, therefore we know. (laughs) So now... There's more retconny stuff? Uh, yes. Page 15, Nightcrawler is no longer invisible. Right. He's got like an outline now. Yeah. So, oh. and then on the dialogue on the next page is instead of the, the little the little guy saying, oh, look, he's invisible now. He says, the laddie fair nearly disappears when he's in shadow. Oh. Okay. So they changed, like, I guess originally his power was that he turns invisible. But now they decided that, no, he just disappears when he's in shadow. In the darkness, he is uh, disappears. So since this is the craptacular spoilers section, I will tell you that in next issue, they go a lot more into this whole invisibility thing that he's got going on. So I, I guess I look forward to the next classic X-Men and how they deal with all that fascinating yes okay so i guess that lends to what i had always thought is that he kind of blends into the darkness but he doesn't truly turn invisible right but still i don't like it well which part i don't like the fact that they had to rewrite it or they decided to rewrite it Mm, no yeah yeah that's just me i think that's it for uh for this stuff yep i believe so the backup story by John Bolton, or, or drawn by John Bolton, I should say, is called Tag, Sucker. <laughs> and it is a Wolverine story with very little dialogue, but a lot of uh, thought um, captions. Yes. Yeah, It's a good read. I don't know that if, I mean, if you want to go through it, we can, but... It's a good read, and I I do actually recommend it to people. But, I mean, I guess it can really just be summed up as the first appearance of Sabretooth. Right. It takes place... um, uh, It kind of makes it... Okay, he's been been an X-Men for about a week when this story takes place. Right. I guess what I don't like so much about this story is that uh, as you read the series, I like how everything kind of falls into place and you learn. This just kind of spills the beans a little too early. Right. Essentially what this is referencing is eventually Chris Claremont decides that every like year on Wolverine's birthday, uh, Sabretooth attacks Wolverine right. in some fashion. Um, and... This is kind of a similar sort of thing where out of the blue, Wolverine's going about his business. He hates New York. It's it's really different for him. He, he doesn't have any friends. And then uh, Sabretooth kind of messes with him. Yeah. Steals his, his uh, cigarette straight out of his mouth and then disappears and uh, shows up and says the, the line of the, the title, tag sucker, you're it, and disappears. Wolverine runs around, goes to a bar, gets essentially kicked out of the bar for looking scared. <laughs> you looking for trouble, fella? Nope. nope. Just being careful is all. Pays to be careful. 
Pays more to be considerate if you can, my friend. Take it outside. Take what outside? He's taking a drink. Take your trouble outside. No, it is a weird bit of dialogue. Like, doesn't make any sense. Like, I think he knows that trouble is going to happen soon. And if it does, don't do it in my bar. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and that, 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 that makes sense. Wolverine's looking around and he sees Sabretooth's smile in the glass, which is like enormous. <laughs> I mean, if, if you look at the two panels next to each other, I keep looking at them and not knowing that there's a line between the two. Mm-hmm. So the smile is actually really small. You can see it in the first panel. It's right. the, the fourth panel on page six. Yep. There's a little tiny smile. Then they zoom in on it. But every time I look at this panel, I see that the panel on the right is just a a window next to the panel on the left. So I see it like as a giant mouth. <laughs> it's very confusing to me. Well, then some woman puts her big smiling face in front of that smiling face, which is kind of kind of neat. Little... In the window, I saw a smile. That sounds like the starting of a song. <laughs> in the window, I saw a smile. Anyway, uh, he runs outside. The woman follows him out and complains about him. I thought you had some class, cowboy. You're better off home on the range, romancing the buffalo. Yeah. Some hometown pride there. That's right. Uh, the girl <laughs> goes around the corner. The bartender comes out and is like, I, I warned you, fella. You said take it outside. Just be a neighborly. Yeah, right. I run a clean place. No trouble. No grief. Go somewhere else. Eee! They hear a scream. They run around the corner and the girl is dead. Oh, my God, there's laughter whispering on the wind, and I don't know. So uh, people start to gra- gather around, and Wolverine decides to climb into the sewer. <laughs> yep, as you do, and uh, he hops a train uh, aboard the side of the train, and uh, eventually, I like this panel on page 10, uh, this shot from the ground looking up at Wolverine in the night sky. It's a neat panel. Uh, but then after that, he changes into his uh, Wolverine costume. So I think he's been up all night looking for this mystery uh, chaser guy. And now he's like, I've been falling right into his plans. Like, he's been playing me this whole time. Well, now it's going to change. I got my colors on. I got my Wolverine costume. Now I'm going to make my stand. He goes to Battery Park and stands with his back against a gate, which he assumes means that... Uh, whoever whoever is going to come after him has to show up in his line of sight. But you think Wolverine would know Sabretooth a little bit better at this point? See, well, we'll talk about this at the end of the story, but he stands there and he's like, Wolverine, Weapon X, X-Man, Hunter, become the hunted, killer, about to be killed. I was trained by the best, to be the best. But I ignore all that. I trust my senses. And as he's trusting his senses, hands come up from the fence and pull him down into the water. And Sabretooth rips out his throat. Yep. Tag again, sucker. You're it. You're out. Expected better, boy. But then again, you always were a disappointment. <laughs> so an hour or two later, the Staten Island Ferry cruises placidly toward his berth at St. George. 
and Wolverine climbs aboard, realizes it was Sabretooth. His throat has healed. Yeah. He tore out my throat. Should have suffocated, bled to death, drowned. Which is revealed nowadays to be the only way you can really kill Wolverine. Right. But whatevs. <laughs> but the body heals faster when it has to. I'm a mess, but I'll survive. Like always, we fight on, blah, blah, blah. I'm a berserker. The Wolverine. Only the man has a prayer to survive. I have to change, to accept what I am, and grow from it. I'm not sure I want to. I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I can. Um. Well, so the thing, so the story onto itself, if you take it out of time and out of context, I think is really good. It's a really nice story. Uh, the art is, is really good, and the, the narration is all good, and it's kind of, I think about Wolverine discovering himself or realizing he's got to change or something like that. But put into context and put into the timeline, it doesn't work at all. Yeah, I agree with you. Because we'll learn way later when he first meets Sabretooth that there's no spark of like, oh my God, Sabretooth, what are you doing here? Which is fine because if you write the character correctly, you can be like, he didn't know. Like, he did his Weapon X stuff, he lost his mind, then he became an agent of uh, Canada. And so between all of that time, he never met up with Sabretooth again until this mission. Right, right. That, that's that's that you can all accept, but to have this story here now and him to be like that was Sabretooth, I should have known better would mean that in the um, mutant massacre, which is I think where they first meet Sabretooth, he'd be like, "That one's mine, Sabretooth. I know him," but he doesn't. Well, maybe in the later classic X Men's, they'll they'll retcon that too. No, because <laughs> I, I don't think classic X Men goes that far. But, I, oh well. I think classic X Men only goes up to like uh, early one nineties, and they rename it to X Men Classics, and they take out all this filler stuff. It yeah. literally just becomes reprints after that point. So no, that that doesn't happen. So. I don't know. It's kind of a mixed bag when it comes to that particular story. It doesn't fit in context, but on the same token, it's it's a fairly good story. The only thing I don't like about um, some of these stories with Wolverine, and it's usually when people other than Chris Claremont or Larry Hama or people that really know the Wolverine character write the Wolverine character, they always rewrite him like regrowing his guts or re regrowing a lung. <laughs> and it's like, is that really plausible? Well, I've seen him like, I mean, if you, it's gotten so bad that he's had all of it. Like he's been down to being just a skeleton. And he's just regrown everything. And he regrows everything. See, I don't like that. None of that I like. I, and especially yeah. the throat thing. Like, I, I think like if you have your throat torn out, you die. Now he could have his throat slit and be like dying and falling unconscious. And then he could potentially heal from that. I find somewhat realistic with his healing factor. But to have Jeremy, like a... you don't understand. <laughs> The healing factor heals faster when it needs to. How do you regrow a throat? <laughs> you know? I mean, How I understand. How do you regrow your entire, uh, like, all your organs and your skin and, I don't know. That I don't find plausible. Like, I, I find it, I, I, I don't know why, but I find it plausible to have, like, a big cut along your leg and, like, have that regrow. But, like, if I cut your leg off, like, you're not going to just grow it back. <laughs> <laughs> it just that to me just doesn't make sense, but I agree. It's the comic books. 
I think there was a uh, like a Punisher Spider-Man Wolverine story in which like something bad happened to Wolverine and like basically all of his intestines and innards were like removed and he was just like laying in a corner like regrowing it all. And the Punisher's like, I would stay away from there, Spider-Man. It smells real bad when he grow- regrows all of his guts. I'm like, <laughs> this is stupid. I have a feeling that in the coming months, uh, I'm, I'm a couple of issues behind in Wolverine, so I don't know. Maybe it's already happened. But I have a feeling that they're going to get rid of his, or reduce at least his healing factor. I wish they'd get rid of it, to be honest. Yeah? Maybe a much more interesting character if he didn't have that to rely on. Yeah, I like it as a device for how his claws work, which they mm. will um, not do consistently. But that's right. But that's I guess okay. he can't lose his healing factor unless he loses the adamantium. Right. He's got so. right because that's the whole thing that's keeping him alive with all that uh, foreign material in his body. Right. So it is my feeling that they will they they're going to do something soon to to make it more so that to to, to limit his healing factor. Uh, well, I, unless you have anything else to add, Adam. I don't. Then, until next time, the danger room is closed. You know, I was this close, and you can't see how my, close my fingers are, but this close to picking up the Howard the Duck omnibus. There's an omnibus? Uh, evidently. Wow. I'm pretty sure there was. Some some sort of collection. Cool. Yeah. Never read Howard the Duck, so thought it'd be interesting. <laughs>